Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Morning, church. Morning. Morning. Uh, This morning we will continue on the series, Names of God, Yahweh. In particular, we will have a look at the name Emmanuel, God with us. If you have your Bibles, could you uh, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We will read verses 18 to 25. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 to 25. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray as we listen to the word, uh, you soften our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray whatever barriers or, or circumstances that prevent us from coming to the Father be broken, all chains be removed. And I pray that the love of the Father will fill our hearts to overflowing this morning. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So recently, uh, Akina, my wife, and I, we celebrated our fifth anniversary. And uh, while reflecting on five years of marriage, I came across a comment on Facebook, someone posted on Facebook. It, said, it goes something like this. Man is not complete until he marries. Then he's finished. <laughs> now, understand that there is a fair amount of adjustment happening in marriage and give and take, but marriage is more than just giving and taking. It's about two people coming as one, journeying through life, encouraging each other to be the best that they can be. And with that, I have the privilege for the past five years to journey through life with a beautiful, intelligent, and funny lady, uh, my wife, Akina. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for our fifth anniversary, we decided to visit for the first time uh, Mount Gambia and spent the weekend at uh, Port McDonald. Uh, 
So what, unknown to us, Port McDonald coincidentally happened to be the capital for the Southern Rock Lobster. So when you are in the capital of the Southern Rock Lobster, you had to have a taste of it. So we sampled the lobster and I really loved it. In fact, so much that I've decided to bag one home for Christmas this year. But as soon as I did that, I started to have some doubts. Because, you know, after all, Christmas is uh, the birth of Christ. I, I wonder what Jesus would say about having a lobster for his birthday. <laughs> after all, I mean, is, is, it, is it even biblical to have lobster on Christmas? What would Jesus say about this? So, so I asked the Lord, I asked the Lord to give me a sign that he approves of this. And lo and behold, maybe it's a scientist in me, but the scientific name for the southern rock lobster is Jesus Atmosphere. <laughs> Some of you will pronounce it as Yasus Atmosphere. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, sweet Yasus. The Lord has spoken, and we are good for Christmas. And speaking of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, isn't it peculiar, the set of circumstances that uh, Jesus chose to enter the world? I mean, of all the people God could have chosen, God chose a teenage girl, Mary, to be the mom for Jesus. And to make matters interesting, Mary was betrothed or engaged to Joseph. And upon finding out that Mary fell pregnant, Joseph decided to quietly divorce her so as to not to put her in shame. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, assuring Joseph that that child is conceived by the Holy Spirit and the name shall be given is Emmanuel, God with us. And that is in reference to the prophecy by the prophet Isaiah which more than before Jesus arrived, more than 700 years ago, prophesied about the Messiah, the chosen one that will save all humanity. And that's referring to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I don't know about you, but, but God with us is such a wonderful name. It's so encouraging. Now, imagine for a moment, Jesus being your buddy, good buddy, and with you all the time. Imagine going to a wedding reception and they ran out of drinks. What did he turn into wine? Or how about this? Visiting a hospital with Jesus and seeing all the patients walking out, running out of the hospital, fully healed, made complete. Or how about going fishing with Jesus. Better still, fishing for lobsters. <laughs> Sweet Yasus. And indeed, the Bible is full of verses, encouraging verses that reminds us that God is with us and for us. For example, we have Isaiah 41 verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or how about Jeremiah 29, verse 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. Or Romans 
one of my favorites, eight, chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Now, these are all very encouraging verses. However, sometimes, if we pay close attention, you may come across verses like this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, from the ESV translation. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And the message for the expense on that. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't in a job on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Now, I know life can be hard, right? But surely, when it gets really tough, Jesus will rescue us. I always had to believe that when things go wrong, God will uphold me with His righteous right hand. But a series of incidents beginning of this year made me ask really tough questions. Where is God when things go horribly long, wrong in life? You see, at the beginning of this year, Akina and I, we were expecting our third child. And I still remember, it was in uh, around January. Any fans of tennis here? So we, we, it was around grand final, Australian Open. I still remember it's the match between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal that Akina started to experience heavy bleeding. And we rushed into the emergency. And all the while, I was praying my heart and I was giving praise to the Lord. I said, no matter what happens, I know Jesus, you're going you're gonna to do the impossible. You're going you're gonna, to you know, help us here. And right up to the very last moment when we lost our child, I still believe that you know, Jesus will somehow show up. It took me two weeks to realize what actually happened. But you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going through the process, emotions, and I say, you, you know what? Bad things happen sometimes. Okay, we, we, we should try again. And I know that the Lord will be with us for the next one. But what happened was another two series of miscarriages. And after going to three miscarriages, we were in a very uh, uh, dark place. I started to ask myself, where is God when I really needed Him? Where are you, Jesus? Do you even care? And you know what? This is, this is what the Apostle Peter has to say when life gets really difficult. On the message, 1 Peter 4.19 So if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in stride. Trust Him. 
He knows what he is doing, and he'll keep on doing it. Really? When someone is going to living hell, is that the best you can tell him? Hey, you know, life is tough. It's not a problem. Tough it out. Take it in stride. Trust God. No, no, I need something more. Give me a reason. Why am I suffering? Why, why these bad things happen? No, no, just trust Him. Trust God. He knows what He's doing, and He'll keep on doing it. Wow. You know, after, after, after having three miscarriages, suddenly there's a, it becomes a medical condition. It's called recurrent miscarriages. And we went to the doctors. A series of tests was conducted. All the tests showed that there was nothing major no major problems with me or my wife. And the doctor said, maybe, Josh, what is happening is just a really series of bad, bad luck. I was fuming. Bad luck? Where were you, Jesus? You could have intervened anytime, but yet nothing was done. Where were you, God. And we went f- for further consultations for specialists in Melbourne because we, we, we deep down, we truly have the desire for another child. And during that trip for the test, we were surprised and not expecting that, to find that Akina is expecting the game. And normally, as parents, you'll be really excited. Whoa, we are having another kid, but we were really Really, you know, we, we were all over place our mind at the time. We were not sure what is, what is, what's going to be. And the specialist, after a series of tests, told us that Josh Aquina, early test is not conclusive. We have no idea whether this pregnancy will be viable. And in two weeks' time, please schedule an ultrasound, and we will know for sure whether there is a healthy baby. And it so happens, two weeks later on Thursday was the night for worship practice. On that week, Akina was uh, roasted to worship lead, and I was roasted to play on the guitar. But I can tell you one thing. I don't feel like worshiping our God. I don't feel like singing praises to Jesus. How can I praise Him when all these bad things keep happening to us? How can I praise his name when he seemed to always let me down? And, and, and I, feel, I felt at that time the Holy Spirit slowly leading me, guiding me to reflect, to look at the birth, life, and death of Jesus before making any hasty conclusions about God. That brings me to the passage in Luke describing the birth of Jesus. Now when, Jesus, when Mary was about to give birth, there was a census happening and Joseph went back to his hometown, Bethlehem. So Luke 4, chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David. 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to, his, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And further on, the angel appeared to a group of shepherds. When the angels had left them, the shepherds in the field, uh, proclaiming the birth of Christ and asking them to have a look, uh, they had gone, uh, gone to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was living in a manger. Now, the reading through this passage is amazing and perhaps even absurd how Jesus came into our world. Uh, instead, now we have this romantic idea of Jesus being born in a nice manger and there are shepherds dressed up in nice robes and fluffy sheep around the scene visiting Jesus. But, you know, it was not a coincidence on the night where Jesus chose to be born that God chose a day where all the hotels and motels were fully booked and there was only a barn or worse still, a cave for Jesus. Now during those days, what, what happened is more likely that Jesus was placed on a bowl or feeding bowl for animals. Now, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, chose to be born as a helpless babe, wrapped up in a cloth, rugged cloth, and put on a, on, a, on a feeding bowl meant for animals. Now, I don't know what God is trying to tell us here. Of all the, all the ways that he, that he could have announced his arrival, of all the ways that Jesus could have chose to enter the world, for all I know, Jesus could have appeared on a, on a space unicorn with rainbows around it. But no, Jesus chose to enter this world as a helpless babe. And we are so far removed from the Jewish culture that we don't understand that when the Bible says the first visitors to Jesus were shepherds. You know, shepherds, according to the Jewish tradition and culture, were the lowest of lows in a society. Shepherds, they smell rough, they talk rough, and they, were, and they were considered ceremonially unclean because they were always out in the field. And yet, the first visitors to Jesus were shepherds, the outcasts of society. I wonder what message is God trying to tell us? Instead of associating the birth of Christ with royalty, majesty, and wealth, God chose to associate with the, the frailty, the fragile, the weaknesses of humanity. God chose to identify with us. And you know what is so special about the birth of Christ? Jesus was born with a mission to die to die in place for, of us for our sins. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 
53 verse 5, spoke of the Messiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, Isaiah speaks of a gruesome, violent death for the Messiah. And we know now that is true crucifixion. Crucifixion during the Romans' time was a gruesome, horrible way to die. It's a public humiliation, public execution, in which your hands kneel to the cross, wooden cross, and death comes slow, very slow, sometimes up to days. And the cause of death is through asphyxiation, suffocation, where your lungs collapse on itself and you go into heart attack, cardiac arrest. And Jesus understood fully what sort of death awaits him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 39 says this about Jesus. Going a little further, just before he was about to be betrayed, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was fully human in his emotions too. Shown here is Jesus was undergoing despair or even fear because he knew the torture, the pain, the suffering that awaits him. But in spite of his circumstances, Jesus still chose to submit to the Father. Jesus still chose to die on the cross for us. Now, I find myself asking, why did Jesus have to die? Now, many say, oh, well, because, Josh, there's this problem called sin. Sin is not just when a person do the bad things, like the big ticket items like murder, rape, adultery, but sin is when we have thoughts or actions that separates from God when we tell to Father God that, no, I will have it my way. And Jesus goes a bit further. He says, well, you know, if a man looks at a woman with lustful eyes, he has already committed adultery in God's eyes. Or if a person harbors anger against another, that person has committed murder. Well, wait a moment. This is impossible. This, this standard of morality that God expects us to fulfill, that the law demands, and precisely that's the point. We, can't, we can never ever fulfill the full requirements of holiness demanded by the law. And Jesus, as Jared said, was sinless, was made sin. On the cross, He carried our cross and He died in our place as a perfect sacrifice offering as a perfect atonement for our sins. But you know what, church? Sin is not the reason why Jesus chose to die on the cross. I'm, in fact, I might go a bit further and suggesting that sin is not, or the problem of sin is not the motivation for God's actions. God sent His Son 
because he's motivated as described in the scripture, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The thing that motivates God to act is love, unconditional love for us. And the thing that motivates Jesus in spite of knowing the gruesome death that awaits, to choose death was love, love for us. And reflecting on the birth and death of Jesus, it tells me I worship a king, a savior, who is not foreign to pain and suffering. I worship a God who is not indifferent to my circumstances. I am comforted by the fact that Jesus understands what I'm going through. When I'm journeying through the shadow valley of death, I shall no fear no evil. Because I know Jesus is with me all the way. And although I still don't know the reason of why bad things happen in my life or why some tragedies happen in your life, I know one thing for sure. God is with us and He cares deeply. With that, I, my wife and I, we made the choice to worship Him, to put on a garment of praise in spite of circumstances, even if the results of ultrasound was another disappointment. Even in spite of what may happen, we chose to worship our king. By the way, uh, Akina is 16, months, uh, 16 weeks pregnant. 16 months. 16 weeks. And, and uh, all signs point to a healthy pregnancy. Praise the Lord. Thank Jesus. So you see, wor worship is not just for times when we're going to good times in life. Worship is especially powerful during times of dire need, when we feel cornered, when we feel that God is not listening, when we f in fact, when we are even not up to it, when we feel like we don't really want to sing a word of praise, when we are angry, when we have doubts, worship is a weapon in our spiritual warfare, worship is a weapon that we need to use. In, in, in the Old Testament, during the reign of Jehoshaphat, king Jehoshaphat he is the fourth king in the kingdom of Judah. Uh, an alliance of neighboring enemies, three neighboring nations gathered on the borders of Judah. No, they didn't gather there to play footy. They were planning to annihilate the nation of Judah. And the messengers ran to the king, Jehoshaphat, and said, a vast army has gathered on our borders. We need to do something quick. And upon consulting with the prophets and his council, this is what King Jehoshaphat came up with, his plan. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 to 23. 
After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went up at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. So the plan the king came up with was to send the worship team, musicians, with worship leaders ahead. That's right, in the old days, being on a worship team is an occupational hazard. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, as they sing worship and praises the Lord, this is what happened. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And they finished slaughtering the men from Seir. They helped to destroy one another. God fought the battle and won it for the people, His people. Friends, when you are down, when you have been suffering for a long time, when you feel that life has dealt many blows to you and you're losing hope and you can hear the mocking voice of the enemy saying, where is your God? Where is the God that so loves you? Where is your Jesus? Do you know what? Cast your gaze to Jesus and cry out to Him. His love endures forever and ever and ever and ever because our God will not forsake us. Our God is with us. Let Him fight the battles for you. Do you know, we often talk about worship, the idea of worship. But during uh, Israel, the Jews' time, back in those days, worship, praise, and wor the word worshipping the Lord meant a completely different set of concepts or ideas. In fact, when you say, when you speak to a Jew, worshipping the Lord, it almost certainly refer to a certain place. And that place is known as the temple. And I just want to show you, in Jerusalem, the home base or the mothership of worship is the temple of Jerusalem. And on the map, I just want to highlight two structures, not clear, but up in the front, there is this altar, altar of sacrifices. And right towards the inner sanctuary, we have this place known as the Holies of Holies. Now, the Holies of Holies is where the Jews place the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant and what is believed to be remnants of the Ten Commandments in there. And the Holies of Holies is where God would manifest His presence from time to time. And, and uh, the Holies of Holies is separated from the rest of the, the, the areas by a thick curtain, a veil, made in the finest material, embroidered in gold. And each year, so let's, let's imagine, let's imagine like for, for a moment that this church is the temple of Jerusalem. Now we, we will have, instead of this pool filled with water, it will be filled with blood, lots and lots of blood of animals, was brought each year annually 
on the day known as the Day of Atonement, men will bring in animals, calf, and lamb to be sacrificed as a, as a scapegoat in place of their sins. And, and after that, the high priest, for this example, uh, our senior pastor will be the high priest, Simon will scoop out a bowl of blood and uh, holding incense in his hands and he will disappear to the backstage to have conversation with God in the holies of holies. And meanwhile, what happens to the ladies? Now, during the old days, all the ladies, you are not allowed to be in a, in a, in a hall, in temple. You, you have to sit way outside. You have to uh, be busy making morning tea and looking after the kids. So, so meanwhile, coming back into the, in the temple of God, now, well, well, Simon is in the holies of holies. He can't afford to be distracted or have unholy thoughts. Now, if he checks his phone on, how is Hollywood doing in the game? Bam! He will be struck dead. No second chances. So being a priest in the old days is also an occupational hazard. And this, on the Day of Atonement, the priest will bring the blood as a holy sacrifice to ask, seek forgiveness from the Lord. And he, if he returns alive, it means, it means that God has forgiven the sins of the people. And they have to do this every year, every year on the Day of Atonement. And uh, during Jesus' time, Jesus went to the temple of Jerusalem and he was appalled and shocked to see that the people has turned the temple in some sort of marketplace, Sunday market. People were having stalls selling food, animals, and money exchanging going on. And Jesus was furious. He said, how, how can you desecrate the temple which was meant as a place of worship and prayer? And Jesus chased everyone out of the temple and he destroyed all the stalls. And obviously, the, the folks wasn't pretty impressed with what Jesus was doing. And, 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 and the Jews went out to Jesus asking, who are you to do all these things? On what authority are you doing these things? And this is what Jesus said to them. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews was like, he's, he's out of his mind. Like we took decades, centuries to rebuild this temple. There's this great temple. And he's going to build it in three, three days? Impossible. But Jesus was not speaking on the, about the physical temple. Jesus was speaking about, on, about him, his body as being the temple of God that will be crucified, destroyed, and he will rise again, being resurrected in three days, defeating sin and death once and for all. Praise the Lord. And you know what? At the moment when Jesus gave his last breath on the cross, this happened. At the moment, the curtain of the temple of Jerusalem was torn to from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. The, temp, the curtain that was separating the inner sanctum, the holies of holies, was torn, signifying once and for all, there is no longer separation between God and us. Through Christ, we have now direct access to God the Father. Praise the Lord forever. 
and 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 the amazing thing happens when you when we confess our sins and invite Jesus to enter our life as Lord and Savior, we become the temple of God. First Corinthians three sixteen says this: Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? When we accept Jesus, when we invite Jesus into our life, God the Father comes with His Son. God the Holy Spirit comes with the Son. And, and the triune God, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, resides in us, with us, and through us, work out all things good for those who trust Him and love Him. Emmanuel, God with us. But the story of Emmanuel doesn't just end there. The prophecy is yet to be fulfilled fully. It's being fulfilled. It will be fully fulfilled when Jesus comes back again. Peter speaks of the glory that awaits, hope of all hopes. And I'd like to end this morning by having a glimpse, a look, look at the glory that awaits us. When Jesus comes back, there will be a great judgment of all things good and bad and evildoers, including Satan himself, will be cast forever into the burning lake of sulfur for all eternity. And after that, John, the author of Revelation, says this. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. There will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and there will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, we often talk about going to heaven, but heaven is coming to us. God is and will relocate His entire presence in heaven onto the new earth. The new heaven is the new earth, and the new earth is the new heaven. No longer there will be separation between heaven and earth or God and His people. And notice the first, very first thing that Father God does when He is with us. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. This is the kind of God we worship. He understands our pain deeply. He cries for us every time we are hurting. We do not worship a God who sits high up on the throne telling us, you know what, it's tough, but it'll be all good in the end anyways. No, we worship a king who knows our plight. We worship a great high priest who intercedes on earth for us. And the good news goes on. In Revelation 
23, verses 3 to 5. No longer will there be any curse, any more bad things. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no longer night. They will not need the light or lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Isn't it amazing that we get to see God face to face? Never since creation, since Adam and Eve, has anyone saw God face to face. But in the end, we will see God our Father face to face. We will be with Him forever and ever and ever. What a wonderful vision of things to come. Can I invite the worship team to lead us in a time of response? You know, my, my morning start, starts every day at half past six in the morning, regardless of whether it's a work day, holiday, or school day. And how do I know it's half past six in the morning? Because I hear hectic little footsteps outside my bedroom door. And then the door flunks open, and Angie already rushes in, and they start jumping on the bed. And I say, Daddy, Mommy, wake up! What you don't see is my girls knocking on the door and asking my esteemed parents, may I humbly enter your presence? <laughs> and, and I think that is what the author of Hebrews is saying when in Hebrews 10, verse 19, is saying, now, because of what Christ has done on the cross, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, we often talk about, well, we, we're going to, maybe God will show up His glory. Maybe God will manifest today. Maybe His glory will fill the temple. We are the temple of God. Instead of waiting for Father God to come to us, why not we run to the Father this morning? Why not we barge into His presence with our singing, with our praise, casting our gaze on our Savior, our King, Jesus, name above all names. What a beautiful name. Thank you, team.